<coughs> for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me. But I will ponder your statutes to all the perfection I see limit. To all perfection I see limit, but your commands are boundless. Boundless. Absolutely marvelous. Okay, let's see what happened on this day in Christian history. Today is, oh, well, I know what happened this day in uh, American Pacific history. history. Yeah, I tell people I have to watch Hedico really carefully on 7 December every year. Yeah, very, very, very watchy. I watchy, watchy. Let's see here. Um, okay, December 7th, and my house. James Taylor, not the musician, 18th century English villager hated Wesley's circuit riders, viewing them as nothing but targets for his rotten eggs. But one day, as he readied his missiles, one of the preachers quoted Joshua 24:15, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. James, about to be married, was smitten. On his wedding day, he prayed so long that he arrived late for the ceremony. He announced he had become a Christian. Burdened for his new wife, he picked her up, carried her to the bedroom, and forced her to her knees where she, too, became a Christian. Wow. <laughs> their faith passed from generation to generation until it reached their great-grandson, James Hudson Taylor, who founded the China Inland Mission and opened the interior of China to the gospel. His grandson, James Hudson Taylor II, continued the legacy by taking his family to China as missionaries during the long days before World War II. The children's boarding school was located in a Chinese city a thousand miles from their parents, and they were there on December 7, 1941, when the Japanese planes attacked Pearl Harbor. When news reached Miss Taylor, she writhed in fear and fell on her knees, unable to pray. Worried, a uh, paraphrase of Matthew 6.33 came to mind. If you will take care of the things that are dear to God, God will take care of the things that are dear to you. Meanwhile, far away, the four Taylor children were herded into a concentration camp in Japanese-occupied territory while singing God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. The children were detained for five years until liberated by the Americans and allowed to rejoin their parents. One of the boys, James Hudson Taylor III, grew up to become the general director of China Inland Mission, now Overseas Missionary Fellowship the great-grandson of the great-grandson of the man who resolved on his wedding day, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you don't want to worship the Lord, then choose right now. Will you worship the same idols your ancestors did? Or since you're living on land that once belonged to the Amorites, maybe you'll worship their gods. I won't. My family and I are going to worship and obey the Lord. Okay, that's Joshua 24, 15. Now his wife, is she a believer? Uh, I suppose she became one eventually. I don't okay. think that he forced her into becoming a Christian overnight, but I, I suppose she became one eventually. If she, I don't know, hard to say. Um, okay, we got a couple prayer requests. Corey Sullivan heard the gospel for the first time, praying for a favorable outcome for Corey. Um, let's see here. Uh, Brent, who is in Canada, his wife Donna asked us to pray. He's still in the hospital, and she sent me a message just a little while ago that says, um, uh, there she is. Uh, Brent is still in the hospital on top of the Bell's palsy. They think he might have brown sequward syndrome. Never heard of it. He was shipped off to Abbotsford Hospital again for a lumbar puncture. The results of that will determine if he comes home tomorrow. He still has to go to yet another hospital mentioned to see someone about his nerves. One side of his body is numb, and if he touches anything lukewarm, it feels like fire to him. Still don't know what caused the heavy breathing and vertigo that got him into the hospital in the first place, but he won't be able to go back to work for at least 2 to 12 months. So that's a concern. But I know God has this, so please keep Brent and uh, Donna in prayer. And then we also have, let's see here, uh, uh, Maya's grandmother, Maya in the Czech Republic, uh, she died two hours ago, and so the whole family is a little distressed over that, and we want to keep her in prayer. Uh, they were very, very close. Um, let's see here. Um, I mentioned this. I will mention it again. I mentioned it on Sundays that Joel 
uh, and Missy, who are uh, missionary pilots, uh, they have uh, $16,000, actually almost $17,000 bill uh, for medical expenses that they cannot pay. They have no money for this. And um, so if anybody wants to help with that, let me know and I can tell you how we can get money to them. Uh, uh, anyway, that's Joel and Missy, missionary pilots. And uh, so keep them in mind. And then I have one more request from uh, Silas in Kenya. Uh, wait, what does he say here? Um, we stand in prayers continually. Uh, God, okay, he's giving us a greeting still. Uh, we love to share with you concerning the water drilling, something that they've been working on for the community that is now uh, needed to help the children. There are items that need are needed for connection. The whole job has been about 20 grand. Uh, they're down to about, uh, we'll say, seven, 8,000. Um, uh, they need two 10,000 liter tanks. Each is $870. Uh, they have equipments and pump uh, still needed, which are $6,500. And um, uh, let's see here, concrete, cement, aluminum metals, and all that to build a stand for these things is $1,677. So if you wanna help build um, a water facility for the people in Kenya, um, who we've been helping them for years and years. Uh, that's, like I say, it's about 8,000. Uh, so if you want to help with either of those, Joel and Missy or Kenya, let me know and I'll tell you how you can help them. So uh, we got those prayer requests and uh, uh, yes, that is for the Philippines. And let's see here. Um, uh, oh, speaking of the Philippines, I don't know if you all uh, heard about this, but right in Remy's town where she lives and ministers to the people, they had a bombing at a Catholic uh, school and four people were killed and it was pretty horrible. She sent me some photos and videos and it was really distressing. So she's helping them, uh, making you know all kinds of things to help them in their time of need. And uh, you know, she's not a Catholic. Somebody asked about that, you know, is she Catholic or not? And I said, no, but uh, the thing in the Philippines is, uh, and I've said this during studies before, is that we in America are so covered in Bibles and in theology that the slightest little thing, the slightest little error, and we walk out of a church and say, I'm not going there anymore. That's not what they do in the Philippines. They uh, love Jesus. If they're in a church, they worship Jesus, they celebrate him, but there's not a lot of focus on doctrine. And we might say, well, that's terrible, but it's the way of the world for the past 2,000 years, with the exception of probably the UK and America up until recently, Germany a little bit, but even then, uh, you know, it's just, um, uh, we're just saturated with theology. And so we wanna be precise in every little tick of the, uh, of the uh, checklist. And that's not the way that Christianity normally works. So if you, uh, uh, you know, are concerned about somebody's doctrine, we can ask them, but I know certainly that Remy is not a Catholic. She has attended the Superior Word with her husband for years and uh, she still watches online when she's awake or she watches it later. So anyway, um, Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for being able to raise these uh, prayer requests to you, uh, the financial need requests to you, and uh, we just pray that you will uh, provide according to your wisdom, and we thank you that you do. There's, the needs are always met, and uh, somehow or another, it comes about that the needs are always met, and so we thank you for that, and uh, you take care of even the, the least bird will fall from the sky and it will not happen apart from your knowledge and you tend to everything according to your wisdom and we thank you for that uh, wonderful comfort that we have that we know we are in your mind at all times uh, Lord we pray for the class that things would be handled properly and that the doctrine would be sound and uh, we just uh, thank you for all the great blessings of this life so many thank you especially for me for bringing Hedico back home safely on Monday and uh, wow so nice thank you Lord uh, we just love you and praise you and exalt you and we do so in Jesus name amen, amen. oh boy yeah oh yeah oh man wow okay so we were uh, talking before class uh, somebody asked if I'm happy that Hedico's home and I'm like yeah she got home at 2 30 on Monday morning and uh, so I uh, uh, was super super happy about that and I was so tired because I got up at 11:48 because I expected her about that time to arrive and their flight was late and I never went back to bed until she got home which was about 
2.30 or so, whatever. And uh, so I did not type the Judges 7 final sermon yesterday or Ooh. Monday. Instead, I typed the Christmas sermon. And in, so instead of spending 14 hours on a sermon or 12 hours on a sermon, I spent about three hours on a sermon. That's always a nice break. Twice a year, I get this wonderful break um, from, you know, overextending my brain. And it gets me refreshed and we'll have Judges 7 complete this coming Monday, the Lord willing. So, great, 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 great. Um, let's see here. Um, oh, we're in... Uh, Two Thessalonians. Thank you. I, I couldn't remember which book we're in, but we're in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 2. Right. So I want to back up to where I left off, which is in 16. Okay. We did three, three verses last. Yes, last we week. did. Wow. Uh, 16. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God and our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Three, one. Finally, brothers, pay, pray for us that the message of the Lord may be spread rapidly and be honored, just as was with we, was with you. Two, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. Okay, this one's very close, but two words, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men instead of wicked and whatever evil, evil uh, for not all have faith. So just a little bit of little bit of difference there. Hello, how are you? Let's see here. Um, uh, okay, three two. The words here closely reflect those of Romans fifteen thirty one. So let me take you there, and uh, you can see we just read this verse, and then we go back to the book of Romans, which I zapped by. This Bible has such thin pages that it's almost impossible to stop where you want to, but we'll get there in about eight minutes. Okay, I went the other way too far now. Romans 15 and 31 says, uh, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So he's uh, looking to be delivered there, and uh, the one that we're in right now says... Um, uh, uh, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Okay, Paul was constantly hemmed in and persecuted by those who lacked faith. In particular, it was the non-believing Jews. They hounded him, they attacked him, and they did their best to destroy him. If you've been following the Acts study, and if you haven't, that's okay. But if you have been following it, you will know that this every turn of the page, Paul is in trouble with some unbelieving Jew or some group of them or entire synagogue of them and uh, you know right now I'm going through uh, Acts 23 but we're still posting from Acts 22 and he was just brought before the council again and he almost got torn apart by these people and so uh, the Roman commander had to actually go in and rescue him out of that and uh, you know it's he was determined to preach Jesus even to people he knew didn't want to hear about Jesus. And it just shows the caliber of the guy. But he was constantly being hemmed in by these people, and yet he continued to minister to them. So um, uh, this was also true among the Gentiles, but more often than not, their attacks were first spurred on by unbelieving Jews. The book of Acts carefully details these things, and those in Thessalonica were perfectly aware of this having seen it in their own city firsthand. Acts 17 records this, okay? And then eventually he goes down to Athens and he speaks to them and there's not a lot of, you know, there's some laughing at him and a little bit of, you know, mocking at his uh, theology that God raised the dead, but he didn't get hemmed in and beaten up and chased out like he did in all the other places. But his request here in 2 Thessalonians that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men is given to describe the request for prayer of the previous verse. He had made his request, now he gives specific details concerning that request that they can plug into their prayers. The Greek actually has an article in front of unreasonable, the unreasonable. Thus he is identifying a specific group of people. It says and that we may be delivered from the unreasonable and wicked men. The word translated as unreasonable is rather rare, being used just four times. It is an adjective which signifies 
out of place or even warped, okay? It's out of place, it's a warped thinking, it's a, a group of people that are just unreasonable. There was a specific group of people warped in their thinking and action and who were also wicked. Paul desired that prayer be made against them in order to hinder them from effectively stopping the swift and effective transmission of the word of the Lord. Okay, so that should tell us something right there is that, you know, uh, people are always saying, you know, you want to pray positive prayers and have positive thoughts and all that kind of stuff. And that doesn't really align with scripture. Paul is asking that people actually be thwarted in their conduct, in their actions, as well as being converted. I mean, obviously he wanted that, but um, the Psalms are known as what type of literature? Poetry. Well, poetry, but there are five books of, poetry. begins with W and ends with isdom. Anybody? Uh, the, the wisdom literature. Yeah. Sergio almost got it. was right on top of that. Um, okay, so we have wisdom literature. Anybody name the five books of wisdom? Proverbs. Proverbs is one. Psalms. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Job. Job. Okay. Song of Solomon. Okay, so you got the five. No, Lamentations is a book of Lamentations. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, those are the five. They're all in order. It starts with Job and it ends with the uh, Song of Solomon. Uh, those are uh, books of wisdom. And um, I've lost my thought on that. Oh, yeah, okay. In the Psalms, uh, a majority of the Psalms are known as Psalms of, we use a term. Ascension. No, those are songs of ascent. That would be a title for the psalm itself. But the type of psalm, we assign a... Well, no, I'm not talking about the Hebrew word. What we define it as. You've got a psalm of praise. You've got a psalm of uh, supplication. You also have psalms of begins with M and ends with precation. No, imprecation. Imprecation. You got it. Imprecation. Okay, so what does it say? So, read it real loud so they can hear you. What is a psalm of imprecation? Uh, it just lists the types. Oh, okay. Well, imprecation means to imprecate. You're calling down. Get after my enemies. That's right. <laughs> Destroy my enemies, crush my enemies, thwart their uh, wickedness, all of that kind. That's an imprecation. And we don't think of the psalms like that. We think of the psalms as happy and giving us joy, and they usually end that way. They start on a praise, they end on a praise or something, but right in the middle, you go through the psalms, and there is the call for God to destroy the enemy, to save the person out of, that would be a supplication, save him out of trouble, destroy these people. And so there's uh, probably as much imprecation in the psalms as there is anything else. And that is because... Uh, uh, it is expressing the human desire for something to occur, okay? And uh, it doesn't hide that. And Paul is kind of doing the same thing here. Frustrate their efforts. Get them to, uh, uh, you know, uh, be stopped in what they're thinking and, and keep these work people away from this. And now, that's not just prayers. Paul, obviously, especially like, you know, the Timothy you were reading one earlier, is to, uh, Paul is very direct about people. They're, you know, cast about on the ocean. They've got poor theology. They're blown around by every wind of doctrine. And so, Paul, I would say above everything else, and I don't want to be dogmatic about this unless there's a study out there that shows every type of thing that Paul talks about, but I would say Paul, uh, his uh, life and his uh, writings are more focused on actual doctrine than anything else. Maintaining sound doctrine, okay? Um, that, that just, now everything is going to come to a point of doctrine at some point or another. I mean, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word uh, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the only glory. Okay, you got that. Okay, now that's not really doctrine, but it leads to doctrine because it's telling us something about the nature of Christ, whereas Paul is actually giving doctrine. He's giving us actual instruction or how to avoid getting caught into pitfalls, uh, especially like you go to Galatians. I mean, the entire book is just a book of doctrine. It's just telling what is correct, what is improper, what you should do about people that are improper, and so on. And um, he doesn't... Uh, you know, minces words at all. Uh, he says about people that are um, uh, divisive, what does he say? Warn them once, warn them a second time, and then have nothing to do with them. Cut them off. 
And so uh, this is the way that Paul worked. And that's the way, and, and that is him telling him to do that. That's not just, you know, okay, um, uh, that guy is divisive. Just tell him to go away. And, but he really means warn him once, warn him twice, and then have nothing to do with him because doctrine is that important. And uh, there are things in the Bible that we absolutely must hold as sacred, okay? And uh, somebody emailed me a, a problem uh, this past week. It was about the Trinity, you know, you know their view on the Trinity. And, and uh, here is how you can know that there is a Trinity in the Bible. I'm going to ask six questions, okay? I want you to answer each question with a yes or a no. Does the Bible say that Jesus is God? Yes. Does the Bible say that the Father is God? Yes. Does the Bible say that the Spirit is God? Yes. Mm. Yes, it does. It, it, it ascribes all of deity to him. He is a creator. He's in the process of creation. He knows everything. He is everywhere. So even if it doesn't explicitly say it, it implicitly says that the Father is God, the the Son is God and that Spirit. So that's the first three. Now, three more questions. Is the Father Jesus? No. Is Jesus the Spirit? No. Is the Spirit the Father? No. So you've got three yeses and three noes. That means that the Bible proclaims trinity. a trinity. Mm -hmm. Okay? You don't need, even if you don't understand that, that's what the Bible teaches. There are three individuals that are not each other that are God. Everybody got that? So you know there's a trinity. That's all you need to know. You don't need to be deep in your theology to understand that that is what the Bible proclaims. Thinking, but if that was the only thing, then you could say there are three gods, but it does say there's only one God. That's right. It does say that. It says that, but God is one in the book of Galatians. It says there is one God uh, in the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4. So that is correct. And so we do not have a triad. We have a trinity. Okay, and so uh, if you just keep it as basic as possible, I don't understand everything that Charlie said in that doctrine sermon, but I understand these six things, plus the, the seventh one that you've noted, which the Bible is explicit on. There is one God, okay? If the Bible proclaims, even in the Old Testament, that there are three individuals that are God, and we know that from Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, where it lists all three in one sentence, we know that then therefore there must be a trinity, okay? You don't have to uh, understand it, but you do have to accept it, okay? So the, these are things that we just have to uh, uh, be firm about, you know? And, and that's why we have no fellowship with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Not because they, you know, believe that there are 144,000 are, you know, going to heaven and nobody else is, okay? That's really poor doctrine, but that's not something that, uh, you know, but when you deny the sonship, the deity of Jesus Christ, you can't have fellowship with them. It says that explicitly in the book of 2 John. If someone brings to you any other teaching than this, then you know, do not greet him into your house or welcome him lest you share in his wicked work. Okay, so um, uh, there are certain things that you absolutely must be firm about in your theology. Okay. If the Bible proclaims it, and it is a major point of doctrine, then you need to make sure that you don't waffle on that major point of doctrine. Those are very important uh, things to remember. And um, uh, so this is what Paul, he was thoroughly a doctrine person through and through. But at times when he asked for prayers, he would ask for certain types of prayers. And here I'll read that again. He desired that prayer be made against them, in order to hinder them from effectively stopping the swift and effective transmission of the word of the Lord. Okay, that's what he wanted. That's what he is asking prayers for. There's nothing wrong with praying prayers like that. Okay, um, another thing is that um, I was in a Bible study years and years and years ago, and it uh, said something about the Lord hates this. Okay, and it was a very liberal bunch of people that I was sitting with, and they said, well, I don't like that it says that. That's, that's not, you know... It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. If that is a correct translation of the word, then you say, okay, I accept that. That is what the Lord has said. I may not understand it, but I accept that there are certain things that God hates. Now, obviously, we've talked about this before. God does not grow in hatred. He does not grow in love. Okay, those are things given to us 
for our perspective, okay? God is love. Therefore, if we are doing something that uh, violates that, then you go to the other side of the column. It, God doesn't change, and we just move from one side to the other, from his favorable side to his unfavorable side, okay? He doesn't debt loving. If he did, it would be occurring within the stream of time, and God is outside of time, and therefore it's not speaking of the God of the Bible, okay? Somebody else emailed me a question, same type of thing here, uh, about some Genesis uh, problems, and it, it wasn't totally clear, uh, you know, why does it say this in Genesis 1, and how do we, and I said, and this is good for you to remember, is that the Bible is written from whose perspective? our perspective. It is from man's perspective. In other words, it says in the book of Ecclesiastes that the sun also rises. Does the sun rise? No. no. The earth is turning on an axis. But from man's perspective, the sun rises. We see it happen. I know exactly when it's going to happen every day because birds start showing up waiting for food. I know exactly when the sun is going to rise. Okay. So, and it's planned way, way in advance. I can look on a, a thing on the internet and look at time of sunrise in Sarasota, Florida on, uh, we'll say 5 June of 2032. And it will tell me the exact second it's going to happen. And that's because from human perspective, the sun is rising at that time. Okay. Even though it's not actually happening, it's happening from our perspective. When we see a constellation, we were talking about this before class started. When you see a constellation, the Bible says that there are constellations in the sky. Okay. If you were on Mars, would that be a constellation? It might be, but not the same. It wouldn't be the same because it is from a different angle. Nowhere on the in the world or in the universe will that look the same as it does here. There's going to be a different reference point, and therefore the stars are not going to line up in the same way. They may be discernible. I don't even know if they would be, but if they are, they would not be the way we see them. It certainly wouldn't look like the Pleiades. It would look like something else. Okay, so... Uh, these things are things that God has done so that we can understand in a limited perspective what is going on. Oh, the specific question was about the rechia and the stars being in the, the you know, you got the, the waters divided from the waters, you got the rechia and you've got the stars out there. And the question was, how can the stars be in that if, if they're out there? And the answer is that it wasn't written from that perspective. Nowadays, we have satellites. Nowadays, we have telescopes. We have things that we know that that sun is way, way over there. But from man's perspective, when God created the earth, they saw those things in the sky. And that's all they saw. They didn't know that they were millions of miles away or billions of miles away. All they know is that that is how God laid it out. And so the Bible is written from that perspective. And then that's caused a lot of trouble with people like Galileo. He goes out there and he sees that they're actually a long way away. They're not just holes in a, a curtain. They're actually bodies that are way, way out, far away. And then Hubble, he starts seeing that the galaxies are filled with more stars and they're going in different directions. And all of a sudden we have these problems with our, our theology, like God is out of control or there must not be a God. They're reading the Bible wrong. They're coming to a wrong perspective about what God is telling us. He's put this world together so that man can understand him from this world, okay? All the other things fit in evolution. Once people started to say that the rocks are 16 billion years old, people started to change their doctrine in the Bible. Right. And that's a problem. God has given us his word. He said that these things are the way they are, and we need to accept it. And then we need to study from God's perspective, which is what these people do, and come to find out that every single thing that evolution challenges, they have a better answer for. Evolution cannot answer so many things. They can't. There's no resolution to them. And yet, Bible-believing archaeologists know exactly what's happened. They can tell you why. If you study those things and watch those videos on YouTube, you will be edified in your thinking about what God has done. Okay, so remember that the, the world is, from man's perspective, the word is in the world, and therefore we're reading it from man's perspective. And don't try to overthink things because we have all of this knowledge now. God has shown us this. 
then we need to go back and say, okay, if that's the case, then I understand why he said the sun, the moon, and the stars are placed the way they are. It makes complete sense. Don't try to overanalyze things from a scientific, but nothing in science will contradict what the word says, okay? And the word will not contradict anything that science says if it is properly aligned with the word. And that's what people do that are creation scientists. They will be able to tell you how those things actually work. Okay, so, um, uh, effective transmission of the word of the Lord. To complete his description of them, these people that he's talking, he says, for not all have faith. Again, there is an article in the Greek which is lacking. It says, the faith. Because, as I said before, do Muslims have faith? Yeah. Absolutely. It takes a lot of faith to go into a shopping mall and to blow yourself up to kill a lot of people. That takes faith, okay? They don't have the faith. And if you don't have the proper faith, misdirected faith is wasted faith. Absolutely. Okay, so um, uh, he, uh, where was I? Okay, they are misdirected in their faith. He's unconcerned with their faith and is it's targeting his concerns concerning their lack of the faith in Christ Jesus. Their lack of this particular faith, faith excuse me, is what makes them harmful. Not only do they have faith in something else, they use the faith they have against the faith which Paul proclaims. And how, how wonderful Paul is to be the person writing this because he once did the same thing against the faith. He said, I, I fought it. I fought against this faith, okay? When the Lord said, don't, you know, get out of Jerusalem. Stay out of Jerusalem. You need to go because these people are not going to believe you. And what did he say? Lord, I was like them. They'll listen to me and the Lord knowing better says, go. You got to get out of here, okay? Uh, what? But he didn't. No, uh, this is on the first time. When oh. he came, when he came from Damascus, he went back to Antioch and then down to Jerusalem, and that's the reference there. You're right. He, now, going back into Jerusalem, at the end of it, everybody's saying, you know, the Holy Spirit says you're going to be bound, and but he wasn't disobedient to the Lord because it never says do not go to Jerusalem. It just simply said that uh, the man who owns this belt will be bound and uh, given over to the Gentiles, and that happened. And that was a lesson of faith for them. Not for Paul, because he said, I'm ready to go to Jerusalem and die for this faith. Okay? So, Paul was the perfect person in all ways to be selected, because he had he had done everything that he tells them about, he's already gone yes. through. I was talking to my friend recently. Uh, I was talking to Lee. That's who it was. I was talking to Lee. I'm pretty sure it was you, uh, within the past two days, about somebody that has, nobody can pull anything over on this guy. They will go, we'll go into the projects and somebody will say, well, I was an alcoholic. Well, I was an alcoholic too. And then, well, I, I used to be a drug addict. Well, I was a drug addict too. Well, my wife died of cancer. My wife died of cancer too. Okay, there's nothing that anybody has experienced that this guy has not gone through. And I'm talking about negative things in his life. And yet, he has the strongest faith of anybody I know. Okay, I don't know anybody with greater faith than this person. All right, and... People will try to argue why they don't need God or why God is not real because this thing has happened or this thing has happened in his life. And this guy is the perfect person to be there because he says, that happened to me in 1972, okay? I was shot in Vietnam. I was this. I was. It doesn't matter what's happened. This guy has gone through it. And so uh, the Lord knows who to pick to do certain jobs and where they will be most effective. And so uh, this is something that we need to remember is that I say it every week at the end of the sermon, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. And that is true. You have to realize that though. You have to be the one to say, I understand that he has a purpose for me and I'm not gonna let this current situation ruin my faith or make me walk away from my faith. Or I'm not going to church anymore because, okay? Those are illogical arguments because the Lord does have a purpose for you. You're the one that has to realize that and say, it's a small thing, it's all I can do, but I can do that, okay? If you have a great background, the Lord will use that in great ways. If you have a small background, it, he'll use that as well. But he will, he will lead you if you are willing to follow him, okay? He will make these things known to you, 
All right. Again, it seems certain that those of the Jewish faith are who Paul is referring to here. He's writing about this in 2 Thessalonians, and it's always them. He's writing to the people in Thessalonica that he first went, when he went to Thessalonica, he first went where? To the synagogue. To the synagogue. He went, every time he went anywhere, he went to the synagogue first. Okay. And then he eventually moved out of the synagogue because of the troubles. So it's certain that he's writing about the people of the Jewish faith. They give him difficult times everywhere he goes. They probably still continued to give the new church difficulties even after he had left. And he's writing to them for prayer against such people. Okay. Anyway, um, he was one of them and their culture. And he had once worked with all of his might to destroy the faith which is found in Christ. Perfect person to say, I know the situation here. You know, and that's what made Paul so much more understanding of God's grace because he was that person. And God hadn't called any of those other people personally. He hadn't said, okay, uh, you know, whatever your name is. Uh, uh, he didn't say, you know, I'm Jesus of Nazareth that you're persecuting. He chose one person, one person, okay? And that person has become his instrument to convict the Jews of their need for Jesus. And he says right in Romans 9 through 11 that that will happen someday. Okay, right now, if you mention the name of uh, Paul and Peter to some extent, because they look at Peter as, you know, the Catholic Church is always saying they're the first pope and all that. And so everybody thinks Peter is, was a, a Gentile. And then when you tell them these guys were all Jews, uh, Sam Tolkien, he said that in Grace Baptist. He came in and he says, that's just a Gentile book. And he picked it up and he says, this is a Jewish story. These are all Jewish guys. He couldn't believe it. So someday they will come to an understanding that these Jewish people, really had the proper message. And it's right there in Romans 9 through 11. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's your reading for tonight. It'll take you about eight minutes or less to get through. Read Romans 9 through 11 and then think about what he says, okay? Um, uh, he knew the passion these enemies of the gospel possessed because he once possessed it. And he knew that prayer was effective in working against their success or he would not have asked for prayer. Okay, once again, why do we need to pray? Well, you may not understand it, like the Trinity. You may not understand why you need to pray, but the Bible says to pray. And because it says it, then we know that it's effective, okay? We may not understand the Trinity, but we know that the Bible proclaims a Trinity, and therefore, we just accept it, okay? This is, this is responsible theology. This is what we are to do with ourselves, okay? Um, uh, life application. Paul asked for prayer. Paul wrote about his prayers. The many examples of prayer that he gives are intended to show us that prayers are not unnecessary and that they are effective. It may seem pointless to pray to the God who already knows all things, but it's not. We pray and he hears. A prayer which is not uttered is a prayer that will not be acted upon. Why would God respond to something that you don't ask for? Why would he do that? Now, he may give it to you. You know, I mean, he needs this, and I'm just going to be gracious and give it to him. But if you don't pray for it, why is he going to respond? It's just not going to happen. He's probably not going to act upon it. So, for our perspective. Yeah, absolutely. We don't know all the workings of God, but we can know that his Bible says to pray. He knows that we know that it says he hears our prayers. Okay? So when they don't come about... We don't have to get angry at God and say, well, you're not listening to my prayers. He is listening. He's just not responding because it's not something that he wants you to have. You're not going to get healing out of this one. You're going to be, for the rest of your life, not healed, a.k.a. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. Okay? Her whole life has been miserable, but she is still in that state, and she's using her life and dedicating it to the Lord, despite the difficulties. Okay? So... Uh, th this is what we need to do is be people of faith. And then when we have that faith, God will respond in his own way to bring himself the most glory. Okay, it's not about Charlie Garrett. It's not about you and it's not about you. It is about God. And we are graciously brought into his goodness. That's how we need to look at that. Lord, use me up while there's time. Okay, so 3-3. Uh, three, three. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Okay, very close. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. 
Okay, so uh, let's see here. 3-3. Three, three. Here, Paul makes a play upon the words of the previous verse. For not all have the faith. And then he says, but the Lord is faithful. He is taking the same word and applying it in two ways. He does this also in Romans 3, verse 3, which is kind of funny because this is 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. Here, he in essence is saying, not everyone possesses the faith. Despite this, the Lord is faithful. The implication is that for all who have the faith, he is and always will be faithful. Once again, that takes us to, uh, what is it, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, um, I'll take you there. I read this to you a couple weeks ago, and I had to remember which of the two books it was in, but um, it's uh, exactly what we need to uh, tie in perfectly with this. It says here, um, uh, here it is. It's uh, 2 Timothy 2.11. This is a faithful saying. So he's using faith at the beginning of a saying, and then he says, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Once again, let me break this down just in case somebody's heard this in the past and not heard an explanation of it. See, you can lose your salvation, which people will use. Okay, first it says, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. When did we die with Christ? Well, when we, believed. when we believed. We died, he died, we believed in that, we died with him. Okay, so, by faith. So it says, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Eternal salvation, right there. And then he gives a caveat. He says, oh, I, I'll, I'll go a little further first. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. So there's something about rewards that is tucked into there. Got eternal salvation. If we died with him, we will live, Okay. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Rewards. And whatever that means, we'll get to that some other time. Here it is. People suddenly change and they say, see, you can lose your salvation. If we deny him, he also will deny us. See, you can lose your salvation. Why is that not right? Because you're denying before belief. Yeah. We haven't denied him. We died with him. We did accept him. And therefore, we have never denied him. Maybe later we come and we deny him, but he's taking care of that in the last... It says right here, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. We died with him. We are in him. He cannot deny himself. We did not deny him, and he will eternally save us. Never let anybody pull the wool over your eyes on eternal salvation, because they will do that. They will say, see, you can lose your salvation. That is not a verse that can be used for loss of salvation. In fact, it is exactly the opposite. 100% the opposite, okay? And Paul is using the same type of logic here about the faithfulness of the Lord. Uh, did you have something, Burke? You you looked like you had something to say. No? Well, before. Oh, okay. <laughs> did I say it and override you or no? No, no, no this was on the last verse. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, Way let me know. <laughs> the, the hate, when you mentioned the hate. Yeah. Proverbs 6, 16. These okay. six things the Lord, the Lord hates. That's right. Right in Proverbs, these six things the Lord hates. There are certain things that the Lord does not like, a.k.a. hates. Okay? Um, so, um, let's... up saying seven, too, as I recall. Yeah. These six things and a seventh or something. Yeah. Something like that. That's, yeah. Okay. Abomination. Abomination. Absolutely. Okay. So, we have... Um, where was I now? I was in 3-3. Three, three. Okay. Oh, yeah, we were talking about faith. He is and always will be faithful. That is then explained in the next words, the Lord who is faithful will establish you. The word indicates to firmly plant. He had just prayed for the Thessalonians in verse 217 using this exact same word. Now, having made that prayer, he notes that it will be as he prayed. It'll, it's going to come out. This is based upon the faithful nature of God towards those who are in Christ Jesus. Wonderful stuff. And more than being established, he says that the Lord will also, his words, guard you from the evil one. Some translations simply say evil. However, with an article before evil, it should be translated as the evil or the evil one. Uh, I'm certain that it's masculine, and if that's the case, what it would be Pani Ross, it would be the evil one. Um, you know, when they translate, uh, I think the NIV does it, um, when it's uh, uh, deliver us from, uh, the King James says evil. Well, it's 
it's more specific. Deliver us from the evil one. Okay? Because the evil one is the author of evil. So there's evil, but we want to be delivered from the evil one, who's the one that's causing all this evil in the first place. Anyway, um, the personification of evil or the source of evil, meaning the devil is what is being presented. Again, like the word faith, he is using the same word as in the preceding verse, translated there as wicked, in order to make a play on the words, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked, meaning evil men. The Lord will guard you from the evil one. So Paul is using these words in a way that the Greek people would read it and they'd say, I completely get that. And then when we have a translation that isn't quite right, you're not going to get what he's trying to elucidate to you. But that's what he is saying here. The evil one, or simply the evil. Okay, the personification of evil. Note how he had just asked for prayers for himself and those with him in verses 1 and 2, but how in this verse he has spoken only in the second person. He immediately reverted from his needs to a note of comfort for his beloved brethren. The attitude is selfless and other-directed. He trusts that the prayers of the church will be effective for him and his companions, and so he redirects immediately for their sake. Okay, um, I've got a friend that went through some troubling uh, things recently, and uh, this person kept saying, why is this happening to me? Okay, um, I'll give, I'll, let me think of an example that's comparable. Okay, I got a car. This is just an example, so I don't give anything away. That um, I got a car, and um, I'm driving down the road, and I get a nail in my tire. Okay, tire goes flat, right? <sighs> so I get the tire fixed. Cost me, it ruined the tire, it cost me $150. I don't know what a tire costs, whatever. Okay, so now I've got my tire, and I get in the car, and something blows a gasket and the engine gets ruined okay and after three or four of these things you say why is God doing this to me why is that an illogical thought whose car is it whose car is it it's your car when you have a car cars get pop tires things happen the Lord isn't doing this to you it's you know why is God doing this to me he's not doing that to you you bought a car. Cars go bad. Cars get pop tires. You know, if you've got a home and your plumbing goes bad, right? All the plumbing in the house goes bad at one time. The house is 75 years old. It's going to go bad. This, it, If it doesn't happen today, it's certainly going to happen next week. Or it's going to happen a year from now. But it's going to happen. This is the world we live in. So don't look at your afflictions as why is God doing this to me? This is a fallen world. We have air conditioners that break. We have plumbing that bursts. We have cars that pop tires. God is not taking it out on you. He's allowing you to live. You have a car. How many people on this planet don't have a car? Seriously. I've been in countries where very few people own a car. And the ones that do are considered, you know, like the cream of the crop, right? Oh, he's got a car. I knew a guy that was in uh, Malaysia. He's an Indian guy. Couldn't feed his family, but he had a car and he had a chauffeur. That's priorities there. He couldn't even feed his family, and he had to have the status symbol. Now, if that car broke down, he'd say, oh, my gods are being mad at me. No, you're an idiot. You don't have enough money to fix the car, and you're not feeding your family, right? Don't ever think that God is picking on you. He's not. You're in a fallen world, and yes, go ahead. But could God, like, use that? Yeah. Or do something, like, just because... To wake you up? Not to wake you up, but like maybe he wants to get you, you're going to get to that specific like car shop. Yeah. And then he wants the person there to hear the gospel. That could be too. He may be aligning you to actually open your mouth and speak to the person behind the counter about Jesus. That may be something he did. He's not picking on you. He's looking for their salvation. And you don't know this. We don't know the workings of God. But he's not picking on you as an individual. Now, there is something to be said that if you're not living for the Lord, and I'm not talking about you know cars and air conditioners and plumbing anymore, if you're not living from the Lord, you cannot expect to be blessed by the Lord. And a lot of people want both. They want to say, well, I'm Christian and God should bless me, but I can do anything I want over here. That doesn't work that way. 
So think clearly when you have troubles or when you have trials, what is happening and how does this really affect me? If you have a house, your plumbing is eventually going to go bad, okay? I know that's going to be the case with you. I know it is because of the year your house was made. Now, they don't own it. They rent, okay? But I know that's, and they already are. How did you know? I got luck today. Oh, see, there you go. Because before a certain time in Sarasota, they used what when they built plumbing into a house? Copper. Well, copper for the the, uh, potable water. Iron. Iron. Iron is, you're only going to get a certain amount of years out of iron. And what happens is it gets what's called carbuncles. Everybody know what a carbuncle is? It, it's buildup. The iron continues to build up and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller until nothing gets through. Now, and the same thing happens if you have a galvanized uh, pipe for water going into your house. I had some friends that didn't have water in their house. They bought a house and they had very low water pressure so low that they could only have one person washing their hair at a time, nothing else could be used. And they said, what's the matter with our, our and I said, you, your pipe, it's galvanized iron, and you know, just one of those little one inch lines, and I said, we have to replace it. So I came over one day and we went from the meter all the way up to the house where it butted into the house, cut the driveway, and I put in all new PVC piping for them. And when we turned on the water, I'm not kidding, the entire house, all the children, everybody was shouting like it was Christmas Day. It was unbelievable. They couldn't believe that they all, all the plumbing, all the pipes in the house were turned on and there was water coming out of everything. They were, came out, they were applauding. You know, these were people that came from another country. They, you know, just didn't have very much and they, you know, didn't know anything about American systems. And well, that's what I do for a living. So I did all of that. They were, they couldn't believe it. Okay. But that pipe is eventually going to get carbuncled and no water's going to get through. That's just the way it goes. So uh, when things happen that are bad, like she said, look for something that God is trying to teach you. Not He's not trying to pick on you. He's trying to teach you something. And in their case, they weren't, you know, they weren't Christians or anything, but in their case, if they were Christians, maybe he's trying to teach them to be grateful for water pressure, right? I got to tell you what, I, you all know this here, and some people online have heard me talk about it, but I put in a shower outside when we first moved into the houses. One of the first things I did, I tore out the uh, dishwasher because I refused to have a dishwasher in the house, and I put in an outdoor shower. So those are two things I did within a very short time of moving into the house. And when I did it, I did not put in hot water, okay? And so for the Wait past... Wait a second. Your dishwasher is hot water. No, I'm talking about the shower outside. Right, but it wasn't right next to it? No. no. Shower's outside. The dishwasher's in the... Is there uh, just a wall separating it? No. Oh, okay. That's on the other side of the house. I had to run a new pipe outside. Oh. Okay, so all I did was run cold water. And so for the past 30 years, I've been taking cold showers, even if it's 36 degrees outside. And yeah, because I don't like taking showers inside. I love my outdoor shower. And so finally... Hey, what's up, buddy? Hi. Ah, Hi. Sweet. We got somebody making a delivery. Uh, right while he's delivering that, we're going to thank um, uh, Joey and John. Okay, and it, it's exactly, exactly what I paid for. Joey and John. Uh, I, I didn't even know that. So thank Joey and John, everybody. Thank you, Joey and John. Okay, I can take that out. Uh, his pizzas are very good, but they're expensive because one piece will fill up a person. So, um, uh, okay, so we got that one out of the way. I got a few more people that have given for pizza, so we've got uh, ways to go there. But, um, uh, so I didn't have any hot water. And then finally, I heard that you can have a thing that you hook up to your shower and it'll give you hot water, but it had very low water pressure. So for the past year, I've been out there taking a warm shower, but it's very, very low water pressure. Okay, but when the plumbing went bad, I said, why don't you guys run a hot water out there with the cold water? And now it's the nicest. I said to Hidako today, this is the nicest part of this house to me, is that I've got hot water and cold water full blast. And I, instead of moaning about the plumbing going bad, it was difficult and we had a tough time. I'm thankful to the Lord that we have, you know, thank you for your grace. Thank you. Have a wonderful evening. Be blessed. Be blessed. Too. All right. You say hi to Wa, okay? Take care of that wife of yours. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right now. So um, uh, be grateful. Find a reason to be grateful, even in trouble, and find a reason to uh, uh, praise the Lord 
for the things that don't seem right, and he will reward you for that. Plus, you'll feel a lot better. When you're moaning, you, do, you never feel better. But when you just take your eyes off yourself, you're going to feel better. Okay? Good stuff. Okay. Um, you know what? We're just going to do this verse, and then after this verse, we're going to eat pizza. How's that? Okay? Um, my wife is back, and Lee is here. And so we need to have pizza. All right? I think it's a good time. And you guys are back for the first Bible study in like two months. You, second. Oh, were you here last? Study. You were here last week. We That's were right. Asleep, so yeah, you were pizza. asleep. I I was embarrassed at the we snoring. Don't deserve but, a pizza. Yeah, no. We, well, we got pizza. Yeah, we don't deserve it. So we're appreciative of uh, what did I say, John and Joey? Um, yes. John sixteen thirty three. John sixteen thirty three. Why don't you read it real loud? Go ahead. <laughs> These things. Go ahead. Okay. Yep. I have spoken to, to you, you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you shall have trouble. That's right. But be of good cheer. Be I of good courage. I have overcome, overcome the world. The world. In the world you're going to have tribulation. It's it's to be expected. God's not doing something to you. You're living in a fallen world. Okay. Right. Now, uh, it's the good thing is if you have a newer house, all of your pipes are going to be PVC. Okay. You're never going to have the sewer problems unless you just jam towels down your toilet or something. Listen, I'll divert. What? I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to divert here. You say, can you do it? Out on Siesta Key, okay, I ran the wastewater plant out there for quite a few years. I worked there, and then I eventually took over. You would find, no kidding, entire beach towels would come through the sewer. And I know what children do. Okay, they're, they're here on spring break. And they would take and they, they wind them up, and then they put them in there and they'd flush and they keep flushing until the fine thing finally disappeared. And you're in a condominium, so they have the big four-inch pipes as soon as it leaves the toilet, and so they would see how long it took to flush down. And we would find this all the time: beach towels, beach towels in the sewer system. And then the screen would pick it up and it'd toss it out and all that stuff. But no kidding, I mean. You're very fortunate if you have PVC piping for your sewer because you're not going to have any problem with it. As long as you, you know, just don't jam a bunch of stuff down there, you'll have no problem. You're not going to have the same with um, uh, ductile iron. If you buy a house, if you're going to buy a house and you want to save yourself a lot of money, ask what year it was built and what type of piping is in there. And if it's not ductile iron, you're going to be a lot better off. Now, I have, I'll tell you one more thing because we got time. I have clay pipe. In my house, it was uh, ductile, and there was also clay right out by the road because there used to be a septic system, and it was clay. And I replaced the entire thing. I had to dig all the way under Dad's house. I was like a rat down there digging under his house to get it from my house, tie in his sewer, and then bring it out to the road. And I got to the middle of the parking lot where we park our cars, and all of a sudden, it turned into clay. And I... No... I looked at those pipes and they looked like they were brand new. They were put in in 1948 and they were, actually, I'm not even going to bother replacing them. So another 12 feet, you think it'd be expedient just to do it all in plastic. They looked, they looked brand new. It was unbelievable. And I said, why even bother? We'll just leave them there just as a testimony. They have, listen, they have in England, the oldest pipes in England are still in use, made out of bored white pine. They took white pine trees, bored through it from the 1600s, and they're still being used today. Wow. Now, wow. if yeah, if they dried out, they'd split and they'd be ruined in five minutes, but they're always wet. They're always underwater. They're always wet. And so they have bored white pine pipes all over London that are still in use to this day. Yep, unbelievable. So, little sewer history for you. I love my sewer history. Okay, um, so here we are. We got the evil one. The Lord will guard you from the evil one. Uh, he's asked for prayer for himself in verses one and two. Okay, the attitude is selfless and other directed. He trusts that the prayers of the church will be effective for him and his companions, and so he redirects immediately for their sake. Life application, and we're going to be done a little early today. It is good to remember, even when we are in times of need, to extend words of comfort and edification to others. If we can trust that those we hope to receive comfort, uh, receive comfort from will have us in prayer, then they are doing what they can for us. With this assurance, we should remember to build them up 
than their own walk through this world of difficulty and trial. Okay, when I send an email, I try to do this. I don't always with if it's an answering email, but if it's something I'm initiating, like the uh, daily Bible study, I always try to say something like, please be encouraged in Christ. Okay, I want people to... to think about something positive, okay? Not just, you know, once in a while I email my friend and it's, uh, uh, you know, it's cold out today and it'll be great for cutting palm trees. But at the same time, I want to say something encouraging to him, not just about my situation and how happy I am, but try to uh, uh, be encouraging to people, pray for people, because you know that they are probably praying for you if they're faithful prayer people. And uh, the Lord is so good. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that uh, we are in your presence and we can know that you are tending to us. You're not working against us if we are your children. Uh, we're living in a fallen world, and so when something bad or difficult happens, help us, Lord, to uh, redirect and to focus on why maybe that's happening in a positive way, to think on your goodness and to know that we are uh, so blessed. We have houses. We have air conditioners. We have plumbing. We have these things. And so help us to be appreciative of that and uh, to uh, just be willing to help others in their times of need with such things and uh, be an encouragement and a comfort to them in their own times of trouble. We thank you. We praise you. We love you. And we thank you for the food. We thank you that uh, John and Joey have uh, sent it to us. And uh, we just pray that you'll give them an extra blessing on their head tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, just so you know, John and Joey, I say that first, but Joey is mom and John is the son. But I don't want to say, uh, 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 actually, I should have said Joey and John because I try to make sure that people don't think they're husband and wife when it's mother and a son. But very nice people, wonderful people, very helpful to the church in many ways. They, uh, Joey takes care of me every single day with a couple of things, every day, and it's so appreciated. So anyway, here we go. We'll go ahead and back this up and say goodbye. Uh, break, 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 break. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we gotta get.